Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. You can also catch us each week at PJSHA's Geek Nation on uh, KSWFM. Uh, I do uh, same thing, movies, games, entertainment, uh, conversations with them. We have the simulcast up every Friday. And then, of course, we have Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central, .com, keyword skewed, where we have the 12 papers and 21 markets that we do game reviews. We have our Skewed and Reviewed magazine, and of course, we have the folks at Sci-Fi Radio and other outlets that carry us. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael, and we've got a lot of stuff to cover for you. Wanted to apologize for last week. We uh, just didn't have a way to get around to the show. I was actually in Las Vegas uh, covering the Consumer Electronics Show, and then I had to get back to Arizona for an event that I can now talk about. Uh, I was given a chance to see some clips from the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I had to see ahead of a, a live press conference that we took part in with the cast and creative, and that, of course, led to the following day when we got to see the whole movie, and my non-spoiler review was online. Reason I mention that is between CES, between all the news that was coming down at the showcases, it just became a real crazy situation and it was difficult to get everyone together to record. So we decided rather than just cramming something together, I mean, literally before I knew it, it was Thursday night and uh, CinemaCon was doing the award show. And I just said, we're going to just take it easy and we'll do the show this week and get right back to it. So apologize for that. Now, um, CinemaCon, a lot of stuff going on. We had a lot of response to the uh, video that I put together from all the displays from the upcoming films. And for those of you who don't know, this is the showcase that takes place in Caesars Palace, Las Vegas. And this is where the film companies come out and talk about their upcoming slate. They bring out a lot of stars. There's an awards night. And then on top of it, we also get clips uh, from upcoming films and the whole idea is to uh, basically provide a business forum between the studios and the exhibitors, meaning the theater chains, that sort of thing. The press is there to cover the things and to build the hype. You also have various vendors who have everything to do from new laser projectors to um, concessions, that sort of thing. And just wanted to briefly touch on a few things because there were quite a few. I know, Michael, we've, you've talked about the show over the summer. This was the more traditional return to its traditional time and place. And, you know, they hit the ground running. Um, it was really impressive because Sony kicked off things and they didn't play around. They came right out and said, bang, here's the first reel to bullet train. And that is an upcoming film with Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Bad Bunny, all-star cast. Best way I could describe it is think of a mix between Kill Bill, John Wick, set on a bullet train with a mix of over-the-top violence and quirky humor. And I am really, really intrigued by this. They talked about, we got to see clips from the brand new animated Spider-Man film. They told us that it would be two films, actually. The clips we saw were actually still very basic animation and even storyboarding. And then they announced, oh, yeah, it's actually going to be two films. Philip uh, Lord and uh, Chris Miller were out there. 
just one thing after another. They talked about El Muerto coming to the Spider-Man universe. And, you know, and that was just the first night. And I don't want to take the whole show up with this, but, you know, suffice it to say, when you got to the next night and Warner Brothers was bringing out Black Adam and they were bringing out uh, teases of Michael Keaton as Batman in The Flash, when you had, you know, so many event films, and you had Disney bringing out some of their uh, things, teasing some of the new Marvel films that were coming, showing footage from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, on and on and on, stars all over the place. We have our showcase up there. Uh, they also had a full showing of Black Book, which everyone has told me was absolutely terrifying and amazing. I wasn't able to get to that because I had to get back that evening. Um, Top Gun Maverick, just absolutely sensational. Nothing but across the board raves for this one. And then we also found out that uh, the new Mission Impossible films are called Dead Reckoning 1 and 2. But uh, before we get into the discussion topic, gentlemen, I wanted to, I can, I'm allowed to talk about this now, finally. I uh, had a look at Avatar Way of the Water, uh, Way of Water, which is obviously the next Avatar film, and got to see it in 3D. And, you know, as best you can say with a 90-second clip that doesn't really go clear onto the storyline uh obviously the water featured in it and the visuals were spectacular i mean you can tell that james cameron is doing what james cameron always does and that is pushing the technology envelope further 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 and storytelling i mean they had these scenes of them flying in formation over the water they had scenes of humans and navi interacting at what looked like a base and the helicopters going up and uh, you know, characters jumping around, and then they had scenes of them underwater, and it was just like, you know, you wanted to reach out and touch the fish and everything, and it was just absolutely spectacular, and I can't wait for December to see um, what the full movie looks like. So, guys, before we get into that discussion, and I know uh, you weren't able to go this time, Michael, and Justin, you weren't able to go, but w was there anything that you got buzz-wise out of CinemaCon that really uh, surprised you, or you were surprised that they didn't include this time around? Yeah, and I'll start. I mean, I, I didn't get to see a full recap of what was shown at CinemaCon, so I really can't comment too much. Although I, I am disappointed that I didn't miss the show again, because uh, it is, I think, one of the, of the better shows. I, personally, my favorite show that we cover all year. Um, and then, uh, again, when we were at uh, CinemaCon in August, um, we got to see the first 20 minutes of Top Gun Maverick, um, and it gave me goosebumps. I was so excited for that movie. I am very excited. Um, obviously, we've already got our advanced uh, screening tickets um, in hand. Um, and then, obviously, uh, the Black, it was Black Bone was the one um, that we had wanted to see. We got to see the buzz of that at the August showing as well. Um, so I, I think in, in general, I think it was good to see the stars had come back. Um, it definitely looked like it was, you know, getting closer to what CinemaCon was uh, in the past. Again, the show in August was, was a much more scaled down version. It still covered everything. All the, the main studios were still there. They still had all the, the releases, but it was missing, obviously, the stars, which, which did obviously, you know, take away a little bit of the... Uh, the excitement, although I will say the one thing that we were thankful that we got to see was Ivan Reitman um, when he introduced the new Ghostbusters movie and got to see him and, and Jason Reitman um, at the show, 
Um, and it was, it was good to be able to see him before his passing uh, when they introduced the new Ghostbusters. So we were thankful for that. Uh, but all in all, I'm just glad to see that the show is, um, is back in stride. Um, I, I, I think, you know, one of the things that they always discuss, and this was even discussed at the August show, and it's one that um, the theater owners are, are most, you know, insecure about, and I think rightfully so, is, you know, their bread and butter is the, the first release and having that release schedule. And while we've seen a lot of the um, companies kind of push that, re- that, that exclusive cycle back a lot um, and are releasing it closer on streaming and far closer on, on Blu-ray slash DVD release than they used to in the past, we are still seeing some commitment to first release in theaters um, only. And I, I think that needs to be the way going forward. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, it was it was nice to have options. And I, and I understand the theaters were not necessarily places people wanted to be during the pandemic. But as much as nice as streaming is, and as nice as convenient as it is, I still think that there's that um, experience about going to the movies. And, and for those who know me, we just installed a brand new home theater here in my house. Um, but at the same time, I, it still never takes the place of the theater experience. And it, it's still something that I would, you know, I love movies and I would much rather see every movie first on screen at a theater before seeing it at home. So I, 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 I like that commitment. I hope that there's more um, I can, commitment to that. I'd like to see even further delays on home screening um, so that the theaters have an opportunity to, to win back their audiences and take back a lot of that what was lost during the pandemic. So um, as a whole, that's what CinemaCon really drives and strives to be is it's, it's a show for the owners about the appreciation that the um, production companies have for, um, for them and for the work that they do. And I hope that we continue to see more um, of that, you know, special privileges given to the theater owners prior to the releases on uh, home streaming or, or DVD and Blu-ray. Very well said. Justin, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I think Michael definitely like nailed it uh, completely. Uh, and uh, I haven't really been lucky enough to go to a CinemaCon, but uh, I completely agree. You know, I think it's a good, important uh, event to kind of celebrate uh, the just the act of going to a uh, to a theater. I definitely definitely believe in that. You know, I, I do think you know there are some movies that don't really benefit from it, but there's there's certainly movies that do. You know, it. I hadn't. Um, you know, I tell the story a lot. You know, I. I watched uh, uh, episode nine in the theaters, and then I didn't go to the theater for almost, I think over a year, uh, two years. It, the next m- next movie I went and saw th- uh, at the theaters was Dune, um, so oh. it had been a long time. And so when I finally went and saw it, and I saw it in IMAX, it was, you know, it's like if you haven't eaten a steak in a really really long time, and then you you have one, it's like it's very special. So it was very memorable. Um, and it was a really important, you know, experience. It was, it was very, um, extremely memorable, probably one of the most memorable, um, uh, movie going experiences of my life. So it, um, it, it was, it's definitely important. And as far as like this CinemaCon, you know, uh, I guess, I guess one of the things I was, uh, I guess it's both positive and negative, you know, the, um, uh, I was actually kind of surprised to see, uh, anything Avatar related only because it's been talked about for so, so long, like eons, it feels like, um, 
So it, it was it was cool that um, that we finally got to see it. I guess I'm a little mixed on how I feel about it. Um, just because is, uh, I don't know if part of it is like just the hype of, um, you know, hearing about it talked about so much for so long, and now it's finally here. And it, the the visuals definitely. I think I I would I would agree. You know, I, I watched the tr the trailer just like uh, or I I watched a like a you know, I've seen some stuff on it and, uh, it, it looks like the visuals are, are pretty incredible. Um, but, um, you know, a part of it is, uh, I, I don't really know how much like staying power, uh, uh, Avatar has just as a, as a franchise. Um, I haven't really watched the original one since I saw it in theaters. So I just don't really know if, um, if I am, as interested in following those characters anymore um but uh certainly you know james cameron is a, a fantastic director and uh, i'm i'm interested to see what he does you know with it obviously and i mean you know? he likes his water right yeah true, true. This, we've got titanic <laughs> he, he has a fascination with water always you know they asked for my comments when i saw the trailer and i said I remember going to an early showing, I was in the Air Force then, uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which at that time had an astronomical reported budget of $90 million. And the so-called experts told him that he's an idiot, that the budget for a summer movie has to be no more than 30, 35 million, because the box office will tap out for these things, even if everything is a runaway hit, at $100 million, and there's no way you can make money on an action film with this kind of budget. We all know what kind of box office Terminator 2 Judgment Day did. They told him when Titanic was being made, you're an idiot, we all know the boat sinks, there's no way you can make money on this thing, we all know the story. The studio was reportedly so nervous that they even brought in a rival studio to split distribution so they could, you know, recoup some of the money from them and it was one of those we'll take domestic you take overseas lights up the box office sweeps the academy awards he announces avatar you had people saying oh we've seen this story it stances with wolves it's this it's that breaks the box office cleans up the academy awards so i think i've learned that every time you people doubt james cameron he always answers the bell and i'm really really Curious, remember, they all said he was a fool for trying to follow up Alien and that that couldn't be done. And uh, we've all seen the outings that have uh, followed since then. So very, very curious about that. What I think was really interesting, and you guys hit on this, is that so many of the studio execs came out right on stage and flat out said, our commitment is 100% to the theaters, our platform of choice is theatrical re release first and some of them were even touting we're committing to a 90-day window we are committing to uh you know i in fact i didn't hear anyone go beyond 90 days i know some of them have 45-day windows built in and uh, you know sony basically came right out with a sizzle reel that had all these clips on there of news agencies coming out theaters are dead theaters are never going to recover from this this is the end of theatrical distribution. Those days are over. And then they immediately started flashing the box office results for Venom and for Spider-Man. And I forget what the other film was, but he talked about how they had almost $4 billion 
in theatrical revenue just in the last few months. And he said, so yeah, this, uh, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and uh, it was very, very interesting. And then, you know, there were reveals, like the, the thing that got me was right at the end. He's like, oh yeah, we got another Venom and we have another Ghostbusters coming. And it was like, okay. And what was interesting about that was there seemed to be this renewed energy where, you know, you go, wow, Sony didn't think, you know, I didn't know how many titles they would have. They were impressive. And then just across the line, even people, smaller studios like Neon came out and were impressive. And Warner Brothers was very impressive. And of course, Disney, you know, blew everyone away. And it was just really intriguing. And that actually leads to my next topic, uh, which was Lionsgate. You know, everybody knows that Lionsgate has some really good releases, but for some people, they're kind of, you know, okay, wh what do you got for us? And they came out and they're like, boom, John Wick 4, here's Keanu Reeves, showed a, showed a series of clips. You're like, wow, that's impressive. Announced the ballerina, which is the spinoff to John Wick. Then they came out and said, oh yeah, here's Expendables 4. And you're like, oh my God. And then if that wasn't enough, uh, they, as they were running through their list, oh yeah, here's a look at Borderlands, which does look to be quite good and might just be the big budget film to break the video game curse. And then if that wasn't enough, just the other day, we got news that Peacock, uh, NBC Universal streaming service, has cut a deal with Lionsgate that they will be their exclusive partner for the next several years for their theatrical releases. So that means John Wick, the films I just mentioned, John Wick 4, Ballerina, Expendables 4, Borderlands, those are all going to Peacock the moment they complete their theatrical window. Uh, so, Justin, what do you make of that? Uh, that's that's very interesting. You know, I, I think um, we kind of see this back and forth going on. You know, I think we talked a little bit last week about the uh, – the, the state that Netflix is in and uh, you know there's not a ton of pos positive news for Netflix lately but on the flip side of that you know there's been pretty good news for other streaming services you know I think we're kind of in that era now where um, you know no matter what streaming service you pick you're going to get a lot of exclusive content and a lot of it is very very high budget um, and kind of going back to the, the topic of CinemaCon and what was being said by um, the industry, it's that kind of, uh, there's a bit of a tension there where, um, you know, you do see a lot of extremely high budget content being released on, uh, streaming services, which is, um, you know, kind of in contention with, um, the exclusivity of releasing a big budget, uh, box office movie, you know, at, at, at theaters. So, uh, it is kind of it's just very interesting, you know, which movies do come out and uh, which ones they're willing to uh, basically um, dedicate almost exclusively to uh, streaming services. Um, it's just very uh, fascinating to watch. And Michael, you take please. Yeah, my wife always makes fun of me because after CinemaCon, I always decide that I want to quit my job, go up in a small four screen th theater in some hobunk town and just retire and just do that. Um, I don't think that'll be happening anytime soon, but that's kind of how I feel about the industry. I mean, to, to go to Lionsgate, I think they were, it's, I, well, for one, now I have a reason to sign in Peacock. I get it for free through my cable subscription, but I forget that it exists, honestly, and, and they really needed 
not that they don't have content, but they really needed a partner that would bring uh, theatrical release type movies to the platform because that Peacock's been one of those ones that everybody kind of forgets exists. Um, it's not that they don't have anything decent to watch on there. It's just they don't they don't have the 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 name behind it with the with the releases. Um, and that's something that I think Lionsgate definitely brings to the table. And yeah, I mean, Lionsgate movies tend to be, I don't know, they, they kind of have, they're, they, they're one of those, um, to me, they're always one of those production companies that have both really good releases and not so good releases um, with their name. And it just kind of depends on what the, what the movie is and what franchise they're bringing up to, you know. So, I, but I do think that they were in a position where they needed a partner um, and I think Peacock was in a position where they needed a a company, you know, a, a production company that could bring um, new releases to the the platform to kind of keep them a relevant platform. So I think it's a good mix between the two. Uh, so so I do think that you know that's a, that's a good thing for both of them. I will say um, when we were at CinemaCon in August, we did get to see um, a sneak peek at the Borderlands movie and. I can't say I can't say for sure whether the you know we kind of talked about some of the casting questionable casting they did um, some of the characters and how they're going to turn out but I will say that they got the look down at least from what I had seen the look the movie looked like the game um, visually speaking and I mean so it, it was definitely very true to that which I think is one of the things that a lot of video game movies um, both good and bad um, tend to tend to get away from is is for the good ones um, Sonic probably being one of the best ones in recent memory um, is staying true to what makes it iconic you know the video game iconic and not trying to make it a a retelling or a realistic implementation of of the uh, of the video game now I know you'll you know the movies like I know the Resident Evil series did fairly well and and I know Monster Hunter probably you know, for what it was, did well, but I wouldn't necessarily consider those good video game movies by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and again, well, Borderlands, I don't know how the characters are going to be, but visually speaking, and, and the feel of the movie, from what I was able to see see of it, it, it really knocked it out of the park. Um, yep. So I have, you know, I'm optimistic for that. Um, again, the, the Borderlands games themselves, the stories have always been kind of hit or miss. Um, so the movie story may or may not matter, uh, but visually speaking, and if it, keep, it stays true to the fun of the video game, I think they'll do really well. But uh, so all in all, I think it's good news for both Peacock and Lionsgate. Uh, I think it will give them a, a platform. Um, and again, Lionsgate's always kind of been the, the indie um, studio, uh, you know, going up against the big big studios and and trying to, to make a name, you know, carve out a name for itself with these things. So it gives them that opportunity to have that streaming platform to do that as well. So I think all in all, I think it's it's a good it's a good mish mash for the two. Absolutely, because Peacock has done well with having shows like The Office, Parks and Recreation, and people forget they have their Universal tie-in that has been kind of on the back shelf because we've talked about theaters being uh, on the downside uh, during the pandemic. Universal's getting set to fire off this thing called, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, Jurassic World uh, Dominion. And that is going to be coming to Peacock because that is where their tie-in is. And to give you an idea, there are a couple of things from Lionsgate I didn't mention. But here are some of the franchises they have. The Expendables, 
the Hunger Games. And for those of you who would say, oh, that's old news, we got a sneak peek at the new prequel series based on the book that I read that was quite good uh, about uh, Snow and the first Hunger Games or, or the early years of the Hunger Games, that sort of thing. We mentioned John Wick. There's also Saw. There's Twilight, Blair Witch, Children of the Corn, which had a new uh, version coming. Dirty Dancing, which has been getting a new film going. Divergent, which has chapters. Hellraiser, which has been talking about reboots. And then, of course, Laz Michael will tell you the independent things like you could do Leprechaun and Warlock and Wishmaster. Uh, there's also this thing called Saw and Rambo. So, <laughs> you know, we forget the Rambo franchise. So it'll be interesting to see what they are going to do. But at least I think it is very intriguing. Another intriguing thing happened in the world of Marvel, and no, it had not uh, was not to do with the new Doctor Strange film. It had to do with a flopping of release dates. Now, I can tell you this before you go on. Uh, a lot of people, I think, know this, but I just wanted to emphasize. Kevin Feige, the head of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, recently did a retreat with his people where they mapped out the next 10 years of Marvel films. They're celebrating their 14th year right now. And we all know about Thor Love and Thunder coming. We know about Black uh, Panther Wakanda Forever. And then, of course, next year, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, the Christmas film. We know that there's a Blade movie in the works. Uh, rumors of Fantastic Four, because John Watt recently left as director. But they made the announcement that... Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and Ms. Marvel are going to be flopping release dates. And there were all these people jumping on the bell, there are problems, there's this, there's that. Uh, and what we're told, plain and simple, is that Quantumania was just further along in production. And so they felt it was better for it to take the February 17th time slot and move uh, the Marvels to July 28th. So, Michael, uh, what do you think of this? Does that mean they're going to flop the end credit scenes too, or are those not going to be mixed up now? So you know, that's I'm a great. I'm concerned about that personally. That's a great question. You know, my take on it is I've heard that they often film a lot of the end credits uh, at various times, depending on when people are filming them, because I think like. Didn't Brie Larson said she actually filmed her end credit scene for the Avengers before she filmed Mrs. Marvel? Oh, I, and yeah, like, that I, so, I mean, be, uh, before Captain Marvel, excuse Captain me. Marvel, right. And like some of them have said, we film these scenes and we don't even know what movie they're going into. And so, you know, I, I, I get the, the idea behind that. It's like, hell, if you're all on set, film it and let's stick it where they're you know, going to go. But I, you know, I, I'm kind of looking at it to me from a narrative standpoint. To me, it makes more sense because we've heard all kinds of rumors about what quantum mania is going to involve. And I look at it and go, well, I've seen Dr. Strange. I, sh I definitely have seen the last season of Loki to me, this seems like a natural progression and maybe one that they should stay on versus going, let's jump off and do this other story and then tie it in. But I also say, give them the benefit of the doubt because they have been successful at jumping away. I mean, you only need to look so far as the last Ant-Man movie where, you know, they had the whole event, they had the snap, and then they told this whole story and you're like, oh, wow, what's going on? 
And then only in the bonus scene did you say, oh, happened simultaneously. I got it. And, you know, there's clearly a plan. So, uh, Justin, do you have anything you wanted to say on that? No, it's interesting, you know, and I, I've actually never really thought about that, but um, about the, the end credit scenes. But oftentimes, you know, it's it's probably a fairly careful consideration because the end credit scenes usually have to have something to do with the movie, like somebody from the movies walking in to a scene and, you know, the big reveal of uh, some other character or something. But um, that's a really good question. Like if the movies are swapping, then you know, you don't really want to reveal too much, you know, about the next movie. Usually there's like a tease for what the next movie is going to be, but, you know, it might not matter because sometimes the end credits are more of a, a tease for a movie that's, you know, in the next phase or towards the end of the phase uh, that might not be coming out for a year a year from now. But, uh, but yeah, you're probably right. It's just, you know, uh, one was probably further along than the other or... Uh, who knows you know it just it just really just means that they're they're just changing the two um, release dates um, it, it really could be any number of reasons why they would do that but uh, you know they, they really have a, a timetable that seems to work usually there's you know one early summer one midsummer and one you know right at the beginning of uh, fall um, mm-hmm. so it uh, it doesn't really you know I don't really read too much into that I just think you know maybe they just decided one would be would fit in one time slot and one would fit in the other time slot a little bit better. And here's one that I think uh, you'll find interesting. We were discussing this last night at the screening, and Michael, we've discussed how in years when the D23 Expo is happening as it is this year, traditionally Disney will pull back from taking part in San Diego Comic-Con in a big way to save their big reveals for the D23 Expo. Well, I had someone tell me that apparently Marvel has absolutely booked Hall H for San Diego Comic-Con. And so that will that'll bring up two things. Number one, they'll be there making announcements and doing stuff at D23. And looks to me like the film studios are coming back to Comic-Con in a big way. So, oh, wow, yeah, that's good you know, news. Win-win as I see it. Now, uh, staying on the Disney topic, as it were, Tomorrow's May the 4th, folks, and uh, as you know, for those of you that follow the various um, shows coming up on Thursday, switching gears over to Star Trek, we have the season finale of Star Trek Season 2 Picard, and immediately we're also getting the drop of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which has scored amazing reviews for the people that have been able to see it first. And then, of course, this is going to lead to Disney doing their one-two punch for Obi-Wan and Ms. Marvel later this month. And so that is their big entry into the streaming thing. So um, before we get to the, the whole streaming thing, let uh, because I do have a second part to that, I just wanted to tease that. Uh, expectations for May the 4th, uh, specifically... Are we going to get any video game reveals like Jedi Fallen Order and stuff, or is it all strictly going to be for Star Wars Celebration? Your take, Justin. Uh, good question. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's probably going to be um, relatively light. I think probably they're saving most of the reveals for Star Wars Celebration. I I don't think we'll get any big reveals. We might get like. Um, you know, like a poster or a teaser image, maybe, 
or some kind of announcement, but I, I don't think we'll get any like full blown trailer or, or huge reveal. Uh, Michael, your take. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say we're going to see a trailer for the redo of Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, interesting choice. I, I think, I think you both have something there. I, I think Justin has a point where we might get like a really quick, like 15 second thing and full reveal at Star Wars Celebration or something like that, like Jedi Fallen Order. We've already know, heard that's going to be there. But like the Ubisoft game, the Amy Henning game, something like that. Uh, you know, something about Andor, you know, maybe a, a, a quick sizzle, maybe a new trailer for Obi-Wan, because it's interesting. We all talked about, oh, we didn't get a lot for Alien Day. And I talked to people about, well, you know, the studios want to work on their own timetable. They don't want to just drop things whenever and i know it's not alien but the two franchises are interlinked they dropped a ton of predator coverage yesterday for the upcoming marvel comic book series that had all these alternates like here's the predator with the hulk here's the predator with spider-man on and on wolverine and you know you can see they're starting to ramp up the publicity for the acquired franchises shall we say and I get the feeling that Disney might be, um, you know, it, it's either going to be really over the top or it's going to be right in the middle. Because I don't think it's going to be a disappointing thing. I've had a couple of things come through uh, from third party vendors. And, you know, I, I, I'm not supposed to go into any uh, specifics or actually I, I, this one says I can talk about it. So. Regal Robot has um, Star Wars wood plaques for like Boba Fett design and stuff like that. And they're 20% off right now. And then they're offering free shipping on things like their Tauntaun and Gamorrean fighter replicas. And they have various other things. So they're having a lot of 20% uh, off uh, sales tomorrow on their collectible items. So that's, you know, that's something. Um, st switching gears back to streaming, guys. So... We talked a bit about the issues Netflix is having, and this has been a big discussion in the industry. And yet, Netflix seems to have fired back with, okay, here's Ozark. Uh, the final seven uh, episodes came out. Top show on their network. They dropped today new images from Umbrella Academy season three and said it's coming out on June 20th. And we all know Stranger Things season four is out there. And it's interesting because they still have must, they still have things that people are going to watch. But the question is, do they have enough content? This is, this is kind of the, uh, one of the arguments is that people say they embraced a quantity over quality approach of essentially, we're going to throw up everything we possibly can and we'll let the audience decide what works, what doesn't work, whereas some of the others have been more selective. I mean, we've heard stories about Amazon's Lord of the Rings series has apparently got a $50 million an episode budget, to, to give you an idea. And, you know, by contrast, The Mandalorian is about $15 million. Netflix also came out and said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to drop this show and we're dropping this show, and Space Force with Steve Carell and the creator of The Office, that's gone. And some of these animated projects, they're gone too. So um, who wants to tackle that one? Well, I'll start. I mean, I, we kind of discussed this a couple weeks ago with Netflix in, in a sense that they're kind of at a 
disadvantage because they used to be the only game in town, um, and they used to have studios coming to them for their streaming service. And now that a lot of those studios, um, we can go back to Lionsgate and Peacock now, a lot of those studios that didn't have a platform now do have a platform, which means uh, Netflix, kind of like Amazon. Amazon's, Amazon's kind of going to be in that same boat, I think, where, um, yes, Amazon does have some exclusives. Amazon does have their the weight of their distribution and their cloud service behind them, so they, they're in a, a little bit better position, I think, than Netflix. Um, but but now Netflix is struggling where um, they have to be they have to be the ones coming up with the content. You know they don't have the, the Marvel license behind them now to deliver some of that stuff. And and we've talked about you know Stranger Things as fantastic as it is, kids grow up. Anytime you have a kid based series, they age out of that you know fairly quickly. I mean every every kid based sitcom, every kid based um, series shows have always had to come up with something to drive that forward and I think Netflix is going to find themselves in that in that space and I think one of the things that we I know we've talked about in the past and I think one of the things that we still need to consider is I, I don't see all of these streaming services surviving indefinitely I think we're going to start seeing mergers and maybe we're going to see a, a Netflix Amazon merger where Amazon purchases Netflix or Hulu purchases um, is purchased by Amazon or, or, you know, we're starting to see Disney and ESPN and, and Hulu teaming up. And, and again, we start seeing, I think, a lot of these companies that at one time were the premier or predominant streaming service might potentially be gobbled up by somebody else. Or maybe we start seeing mergers of other streaming services. Um, so I just, I just think at some point this is just the nature of things. I don't think the industry... Um, I think we're there already. I don't think the industry can survive 12 different streaming services. I think at some point they're going to start, they either going to have to start merging or they're going to collapse. And I don't necessarily think that Netflix is there today, but I do think Netflix will be there in four or five years. And it might be one of those things where they do get absorbed by, you know, Peacock or they get absorbed by Disney or they get absorbed by, um, Paramount or somebody else, um, just because I think that's just the nature of these things. I think uh, I think we're going to start seeing some of these collapse or not be sustainable uh, because people are going to have other options and other choices. So it'll be interesting to see where this where the state of things are in about five years. I don't think we're there today, and I don't think we'll be there in a year or two. But I do think in about five years we're going to see a lot of these um, will be defunct or will be you know merged with other services to to be able to sustain and survive. Yeah, very good. And uh, Justin, yours, please, your take. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think there is something to that notion that um, Netflix does have a tendency to um, throw a lot of uh, uh, things out there uh, to try to see what sticks, and but they, they also tend to be very strict on on performance so you know they seem to have a lot of like one-off you know they'll pay for basically one season and if it doesn't meet their standards they don't they don't give it another season and um even even if it really kind of seems like it, it could be promising if they just put more time into it um like cowboy bebop 
Right. I mean, that's, I think, a good example um, where, you know, if it if it basically even if it there, I feel like there's there's other companies that would basically see potential in something, even if it slow, if it it underperforms in its first season, um, you know, uh, there's there's definitely plenty of examples of of shows that sort of faltered in their first season and then found their footing later. Um, But um, good shows, too, that were huge successes. Yeah, uh, very true. So, but I think, you know, Netflix, one thing that's tough is that they are um, still relatively new to um, actual content creation. Because if you remember, they were, for a long time, they basically were just a streaming service. And eventually, you know, I do think there were some smart minds in Netflix that sort of saw the writing on the wall when when stuff started to get um, pulled away from them that they needed to fill the vacuum with original content that was only on Netflix and that could only be on Netflix. So stuff that's owned by them and created by them. Uh, and you know, I think you've pointed out many really, uh, solid exam or solid successes. Uh, you know, stranger things is a, a absolute hit show. Um, the issue though, like you mentioned, not only do the, the kids age out, you know, shows in general, just a, just a general rule of thumb, and obviously there is exceptions to this, many exceptions to this, but uh, in, in my mind, the general rule of thumb is a show can really last like around four to six seasons with probably an average around five um, before, uh, uh, before it runs out of steam. And, um, you know, I think you're seeing that with Stranger Things. Stranger Things... Um, had an extremely solid first season and um you know i I think even after that it was sort of uh uh pretty clear that they were going to start losing steam um even into season two um but you know they they've really needed to have other shows of of same of similar quality to to fill its spot for when it's gone because it's not it's not going to be around forever with how, how expensive it is, the kids uh, aging out, and, you know, it being going into its fourth season, it's probably got maybe one more season in it, if that. You know, I, I could really definitely see this season being the last one. Uh, I don't know if they've, uh, you know, confirmed that or not, but... Um, I think they've danced around the possibility of one more year, but, of course, the question's going to be, what is the audience going to be after so many years apart? Yeah, and it, you know, again, the the w- with how expensive it is, I, I don't know if you saw the price tag on some of the the episodes for this it's like this thirty season. something million an episode, isn't it? Or thirty five? Yeah, it's it's very expensive, and you know, it's a popular show, so I'm sure that they could justify that. Uh, well, maybe I, I'm I'm sure that there are those in Netflix that have justified the cost, obviously, because they signed off on it. But um, you know, uh, it's got maybe one season left in it. It, if that like I, I could i could see this being the last season or the next one i don't i would be very surprised if it had another season after that um just because you know it, it's just going to run out of steam and they, they really do have to have other shows lined up to fill that spot um yeah. they're just just like any other uh platform you know th- this is how cable works too you know when when uh abc uh lost 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 when lost ended um they were pretty desperate to fulfill that void with something and they never found anything, uh, to really fill the void that lost was for it. Um, you know, other, 
uh, HBO is kind of going through this right now with Game of Thrones. They never found any. They haven't found anything yet that. Uh, so they're been... trying to prequel, you know, and and let's not forget that Westworld's still kind of in limbo. And of course, eh, from those who watch it, you know, there is the whole point of they take so long between seasons. People have started to drop off, and then let's be honest, it is a bit of a difficult show to follow. And yes, they do the recaps, but when you take such a long time between episodes, you find a lot of people, I know several people that have said, you know, I just don't know if I have the energy to try to remember all the stuff and to get right back in it. And, you know, let's not forget The Crown. Uh, the Crown is going to be, um, you know, uh, season five is coming this year, and then they have season six, that's gonna be it. But like you said, they're spitting the witchers all these ways. We know that they supposedly have this deal with Ubisoft to do things like um, The Division and Assassin's Creed, but you know, you're right. Uh, you hit lightning in a bottle, you strike lightning in a bottle with a show like Squid Game, and they cut a deal for two more seasons of it, but then the creators already come out and said, it's probably gonna be a couple of years before we have season two ready. And, you know, then you have their other things. People forget that they paid a fortune. I believe it was $400 million, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for two uh, Knives Out sequels to have them exclusively made for the service. And, you know, we're supposed to get the first one later this year. But, you know, look at what they've done. You, you have the, the Ryan Reynolds film uh, that did well, but now they're kind of dancing around some of the original movies that they had going well uh i think we better do a sequel you know we better bring um and for the life of me i'm i'm drawing a blank on the name but the chris hemsworth movie where he played the mercenary and they had the big shootout on the bridge uh at the end of it they're bringing a sequel to that back there have been a couple of other um you know original films that they have they're doing sequels i understand the one with Charlize theron about you know the immortals and all of that they've been kicking around doing more of those and that's great but you also have to look at the law of diminishing returns if you lose any piece of your audience uh now you're at a disadvantage and look at all the resources you put on it so you know somebody said to me you know i i happen to actually like the show uh but i can understand it they said so this is a network that would rather give us another season uh, of Emily in Paris versus giving us another season of Cowboy Bebop. And, you know, my attitude on that was, but you have to look at the numbers. This one of them met expectations and then, then exceeded it and then did the same thing again for the second season. So therefore, of course, they're going to go and make more of those versus a show that didn't Hit a, you know, light up the audience the way that they were hoping, out of the box, and so on and so forth. So, you know, that that is the big thing. People, I talked to somebody who said that one of the problems with streaming is on network television, if they see potential, they will allow a show to grow. Look at shows like Wings. Look at Seinfeld. Not big hits in their first season. They saw potential. They stayed with them. Boom. They were both very successful hits. Seinfeld was a massive hit and has made them huge amounts of money in syndication. And, you know, Wings isn't doing too badly in syndication itself. Whereas with Netflix, I've been told they kind of have this mentality that by the second or third season, 
that's as big as the audience is going to get. It's not going to grow. So why invest money into it if you're not going to grow your audience? And, you know, you and I would say, well, if you've got so many million people watching it, sometimes you have to invest that money to hold them. Because if you take a favorite show away, and this has been the problem, uh, I think we can agree, Justin, you don't see this with other networks. Yes, other networks cancel shows. But look at HBO Max as an example. They go into something like The Flight Attendant, which was originally a one-season show. Same thing with The White Orchid. They had at least an idea that if it was a hit, how to continue it. They were hits. They continued it. Flip over to something like Netflix, and you have a show like Glow. Yes, it wasn't a massive hit, but it was a popular show. They agreed to come back and do one more season. They had already started filming the new season. And they said, oh, no, you know what, we're done. And they tried to say they were only one episode in. And the cast came out and said, no, we were actually on the third episode, getting ready to start filming the fourth episode. And it's that kind of thing that helps you lose an audience. When you come out and you basically say, we're back, we're going to give the show one more year and wrap it all up. Thank you for sticking to us. And then you say, in the middle of production, we're out of here. So mm -hmm. go figure. Well, lots of stuff covered today, folks. I hope everybody has a very safe week ahead. I hope you have a very happy May the 4th. And we will talk to you soon and bring you up to speed on all the latest happening. Until then, take care.